New game day shirt? Boom. Cash back. Food for the tailgate? Boom. Cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one, it's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Total Soccer Show's Major League Soccer Western Conference 2024 preview today. We're previewing all 14 teams in the West to see if St. Louis can make it a special sophomore campaign, if Seattle will earn their stripes while wearing stripes, and if the Colorado Rapids will do anything. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me to bring you the best from the West, we've got Mr. Taylor Rockwell. Hello, Taylor. Hello. Hello, Joseph Lowry. <gasps> it's me. Hello. It is you and joining us, returning champion David Gus. Hello, David. Say where I'm, say where I am. I'm not in Indiana. Say it. Uh, are you in Indiana? <laughs> no. Where I are am you? In Dave? New York, as the great poet Alicia Keys said, "The concrete jungle where dreams are made of." Uh, did she say it grammatically correctly, though? That's the question. Where uh, dreams I, are made. You'd of. have to ask Usher to ask her because they're very close. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Uh, you sounded delighted to be out of Indiana, Joseph. Uh, David, it's a it's a fine, fine place to be, is it not? I spent one full week in Indiana. It's the second time I've been there in a year. And I've had a good time both times. And I've eaten lies. some really good food, which I was a little surprised about. But the thing about being from New York, and I think all of you can attest to this, having not been from New York, but coming to New York, is that you feel it. You get off the plane and you can sense it around you. Is I'm it the trash smell or the now. urine smell that makes you sense yeah. that you're in New York? Which one is it? It is. It, whatever it does, <laughs> it takes my meter up. It's like drinking a Red Bull. It gives me wings. It's the assault on the senses once you step off the airplane, Taylor. I imagine that's what it is. Think, uh... It's my, my spidey senses are on full, full alert at all times. The anxiety is what keeps me going. That's right, yeah. I'm in Queens. I'm back. Woohoo. Uh, which borough do you live in, David, for the record? I currently live in Brooklyn, sad uh, to say. What's the street address, just so we have it yeah. uh, on record? <laughs> anyway, we are give going him, to be previewing. Give him Weebies. Give him Weebies. <laughs> I don't know Weebies' address because I don't know Attaway. how to do foreign addresses, and he lives in New Jersey. Uh, yes, oh, uh, two New Jersey shots, two days. Goss uh-huh. is back, folks. Let's go. And I love New Jersey. That's the funniest part. Is it? Yep. We're going to limit our uh, East Coast chat for a little while because we're going to preview all of the Western Conference teams. Western Conference teams, I should say. uh, We're probably getting this in just under the wire with uh, Real Salt Lake fans facing into Miami. Handsome Messi plus 10 uh, on Wednesday evening as we record. Joe, just a general outlook on the West as a conference. We feeling Hmm. it this year? How are we feeling in terms of parity, in terms of strength? 
there are way more question marks around the Western Conference than there are around the Eastern Conference. And, and I don't mean that it's way easier to predict the Western Conference standings or the Eastern Conference standings one versus the other. It just is hard to pin down almost anything in the West right now outside of Seattle, which you can look at two ways. One way is there's a lot of mush in the West, and one way is there's a lot up for grabs in the Western Conference. Uh, depending on the day, I've oscillated between one of those things and the other of those things. It is not as strong as the East. Last year, the Shield winner, the Cup winner, and you know most of the top teams in the league were in the Eastern Conference. My guess is that continues this year, but there are still big chunks of two transfer windows open for that to change for the West. Exciting Didn't stuff. it finish last year that five teams in the East would have hosted MLS Cup if they played St. Louis? And pretty much every team in the East would have hosted MLS Cup if St. Louis lost? Basically, yeah. as Joe said, five of the six best records in the league were in the East. It was, I, it was the top three teams had more points than St. Louis. The top three Eastern Conference teams had more points. But then by the time they were out, like the host was basically going to be in the East. It's beautiful. Beautiful <laughs> indeed. Uh, on that note, let's talk about mm-hmm. the West. We're going to start off. We're going to go through alphabetically. Mr. Taylor Rockwell is going to introduce us to the wonderful world of Austin FC. Yes, Taylor, Taylor, what's Josh Wolf got cooking? Um, and can we have some mentions of what I believe is MLS's only Nepo midfielder? On this side as well. <laughs> uh, Josh Wolf has something cooking. I'm not sure how much temperature is behind it. We'll find out. But no more <laughs> Eastern Conference chat, except for this one. FC Cincinnati, uh, I previewed them yesterday. Uh, there was conversation about uh, if and when Alvaro Barrial moves in the summer. Joke's on us, because he immediately moved like two hours after we recorded. That's why we tried to make it so long, was that maybe that move would happen during recording. It didn't end up happening, but he is on his way to Cruzeiro. So uh, you, we've got that move that has happened for FC Cincinnati, and we'll certainly have a ripple effect for them. On to Austin, uh, where I have them as tiki-taka to nowhere no longer. We'll find Love out. Love it. Uh, <laughs> last season, 12th in the West on 39 points, which is a pretty shocking downturn given that they had 56 points in 2022. Uh, a look at the numbers shows you what the problems were. Fewer goals, a few more conceded uh uh, but a lot fewer wins and a lot more losses, uh, which basically shows that they had possession, but they didn't do a ton with it, and they didn't score as many goals while still conceding quite a few, which means changes needed, and that's exactly what happened. Claudio Reyna out as sporting director. Uh, I believe he complained to U.S. Soccer about that one via text message. Uh, but in comes Rodolfo Burrell, uh, a former Pep assistant, so he is the new sporting director. Uh, and then there have been a few other changes. Fullback Nick Lima, who was third most minutes last season for Austin, he's out. So that's a veteran change. Rodney Reyes, their first ever signing, is out. And veteran forward Maxi Arruti out the door as well. So like, not necessarily big names, but established names, I would say, have left, uh, arrived, have been Diego Rubio. We all excited about that. Okay. Uh, Jader Obrian, uh, Guillermo Biro, uh, Brendan Hines Ike, a few other names in there, but it's basically some change. I wouldn't say wholesale change necessarily because I think they're sticking with the approach. It's positional play. It's a lot of possession, attacking in a 4 2 3 1, defending in a 4 4 2. The problem last year was, to my mind at least, the lack of quality in the attack aside from Driussi meant that instead of it being possession with a purpose that leads to the system creating attacking opportunities, it was pass, 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 cross, and hope something happens. Uh, and I think the goal this year would be to stick with the system, but I, I have it work out better. Again, we have a pep assistant. He wants positional play. We have Josh Wolf. He wants positional play. So 
it should be a marriage made in heaven, but I think with the lack of, I would say, significant arrivals, I have some concerns. So I think they will be better this season. I'm not sure how much. I think they are more functional. I'm not sure if they are massively more functional. And then they are very, very thin, which means we might see some experimentation because they do have relative depth at the center midfield where you have Owen Wolf, the aforementioned Nepo baby. Uh, Danny Pereira is very good in the middle. Alex Ring is a DP. Uh, I don't think they want to play all three of them and then also play Driussi, so we might see Owen Wolf tried in, in some different spaces. But for the most part, they have some depth there. They've got Sebastian Driussi. They've got uh, Brad Stiver in goal. And then they've got not a ton else in terms of depth and in terms of elite next-level ability. So I think making the playoffs for Austin is probably a success. I think signs of cohesion and development are probably what they're looking for. Even if they're not doing great this season, I think Josh Wolf is probably still there. I don't think he's under much pressure because it feels like they are trying to build for the long term. That is at least my understanding. I look forward to Josh Wolf being sacked four weeks into the season, and I'll be totally wrong. In terms of my specific prediction, Joe, I hope you're ready to explain this. Brad Stiver will be in the 50th percentile or higher when it comes to PSXGGA, despite Austin conceding a lot Excuse of me? goals once again. Uh, so I'm going to explain it in Taylor terms, and then I'll let Joe take it over. Uh, basically, Can- I think he's a very good goalkeeper. I think his defense won't be very good, so his box score numbers will be poor, but he is not poor. Before Joe explains it, I'm just going to throw in Stuver. Yeah, because if we're going to VSPM, we got to get his name. Right. Okay, <laughs> he's going to change his last name, and then he's going to be a really good shot stopper. No, I do that every time. It's like when I can't remember if my anniversary is the twenty seventh or the twenty first. Though I know it's the twenty seventh, my brain is then like, "Are you sure it's the twenty seventh? You always think it's the twenty seventh, is it not the twenty first? And I do that with Stiver Stuver. I always go the wrong way. I'm very happy about that. Were you Thank going you for a, a Holger Badge Stuber? Was that more the the vibe you were going with there? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Any, anyway, to get to Taylor, I think you explained it well. So the abbreviations there, PSXG, I think usually is referred to as post shot expected goals. That is where the ball is heading on the goal mouth for a goalkeeper. So we think about regular expected goals as where the shot is being taken from, from a shooter's perspective. Post shot expected goals after the ball has left the foot and is heading towards the goal mouth. If it's up in the corner, obviously that's a harder shot to save. A goalkeeper is going to get more credit for that. If it's right down the middle, they're going to get less credit. If it's off target, they're going to get no credit, right? That's the concept of post shot expected goals. So comparing that tally to how many goals a goalkeeper concedes can give you an actual idea. That's that's goals allowed. Can give you an actual idea of how efficient this player is as a shot stopper. And Brad Stuver has been very, very good and and underrated over the last two seasons, really. Uh, but but he's been excellent for Austin since day one. And I think having a VSP about him being a good shot stopper, while Austin sort of still give up a bunch of goals, is right on the money. Uh, so if he does really well, it's Brad Stuver and we can all celebrate. And if not, then we'll call him Brad Stiver and no one needs to talk about it. How about that? Out of punishment. Well done. Um, I, I turn it to, to Joe and Goss for a moment because I, the West really has me confused. I feel like every team I'm previewing could be a surprise like fourth place finisher or could finish outside of the playoffs. And I'm not trying to be overly down on Austin, not just because of last season, but it just feels like there are a lot of lot more question marks than I expected. They still have... Like key performers, uh, Gallagher at right back w- was a a very strong performer for them, both in the defense and attack. And and they have Driussi, as I mentioned, Diego Rubio. I think will start and and ideally connect the dots a little bit more. But I, I'm just feeling a little apprehensive about their squad thus far and the makeup thereof. Yep, 
I think that's fair. I mean, I don't know, Gus. I don't know where you had Austin. I have them at the bottom of the West. I, I don't think they've made enough of the offseason so far, and it seems like Burrell has tried but failed to get a lot of different signings over the line. Two of their DPs just straight up don't produce. Rigoni doesn't produce, and Alex Ring doesn't produce from midfield. That's not his game. And he's also over the hill at this point. And Drew, he needs a creator because he's not a traditional string puller at a number 10 spot. He's a box crasher. So the roster construction just doesn't work right now. If the front office comes out and makes a couple of big swings and shuffles the DPs around, it's a different story. But we just don't really have a lot of evidence that that's going to happen. Goss, where'd you have Austin? I'm the same, but you could tell me a story where they don't make huge signings and they are better than I expect in that Rubio's fully healthy playing at his best, which is dropping in and creating for a guy like Drew Rusey, and then Hader O'Brien stretching the field and being at his best of what we've seen in Dallas, which is not super elite, but at least can give you a goal-scoring threat. And then everyone else stays healthy, and you've got Danny Pereira and Owen Wolf, who I think can be pretty special in midfield. So, like, if you told me all of that hit, I'm not shocked that they're around a five seed, but that's the ceiling for this team, and that's at best-case scenario. I think they might be the thinnest roster in Major League Soccer right now. If anything doesn't work or if anyone gets seriously injured, they are going to be playing players out of position immediately because they didn't bring anyone back from last year and they haven't added anyone really since then. Wow. Uh, Joe, if you had Austin at the bottom, I'm intrigued uh, to talk about your next team, the Colorado Rapids. Whereabouts are you having them in the league and where do you fancy them? Uh, to, to How do you think they're going to do? So I have the Rapids next to last, but I don't feel good about it. I, I don't, I'm sharing similar issues with Taylor in terms of where to put teams. It feels like outside of a, a, a couple at the top, you know, if the Rapids finished in sixth, would that surprise me? No, frankly, I went with the under on them in terms of the projection. The big picture headline for this team in 2024 is will the little ambition, and they did show a little ambition over this offseason, be enough to get them out of the basement in the Western Conference after they finished at the top of the West in 2021 with a you know not super high-priced, high-profile squad. We've seen these teams that don't spend a lot have success, and the Rapids spent more than we're used to them spending in the winter. The, the last season summary, they finished 14th in the Western Conference. They were dead last in the West on 27 points. Toronto beat them to the spoon, but they only won five games in the entire regular season. It was not a good year, and it was filled with negatives. They started the year under Robin Frazier, did not finish the year under Robin Frazier. Outside of Connor Ronan in midfield, and he was excellent. You had injury issues. Jack Price went down for the season in March. The Rapids just didn't have any definable strengths under under Frazier. They didn't lean in a specific tactical direction. Tom's been on this show before talking about how Frazier all of a sudden wanted to play like pet ball and got really inspired by you know what the best European teams are doing and maybe wanted to implement it in Colorado, but certainly didn't do it successfully and probably was never going to, given that the team doesn't have a lot of talent, or at least didn't last season. It just was not a good year. Robin Frazier has since been replaced by former New York Red Bulls manager and MLS legend at defensive midfield Chris Armas, who has a chance to work with a few new pieces as well in this team. Three fringe U.S. men's national team players. The first and, and maybe the most high profile or second on the list. Zach Steffen in goal, 28-year-old. He is absolutely capable of being an upgrade for the Rapids because their goalkeeping was horrendous last year. Going back to that post-shot expected goals concept, the Rapids allowed more goals than expected than all but four other teams in MLS, just in terms of goalkeeping. So they were not good at keeping shots out of the back of their own net. Stefan is, is supposed to be the guy to come and stabilize that. Georgi Mihailovic is probably the biggest, it's certainly the biggest outfield acquisition for this club. Coming back to Major League Soccer after his time in the Netherlands did not work out. He was elite. Was he at Montreal in 2022 as a part of that Wilfred Nance squad? 
Again, it didn't work out for him over in the Netherlands, but he's back in Major League Soccer, and we have real evidence of him being a difference maker on the field. Not a traditional number 10, not a traditional winger, kind of a floater and, and looks for space. Listeners, if maybe those out there who are more familiar with some of the European game, I don't think Thomas Muller is the worst comp. Like he, He's not just going to thread through balls in behind all the time, but he's going to float around, particularly on that left half space, and find something and go and make the game happen either on or off the ball. He is not as good as Thomas Miller. Otherwise, he would not be playing for the Colorado Rapids. That is how comps work. He is like Thomas Miller and how he plays. Sam Bynes is in at left back. Been in Colorado before. Was in uh, was in Belgium with Royal Antwerp. Then got left off the Champions League squad for them due to a, a clerical error. And now is back in Major League Soccer. Ready to be a difference maker. And then Omir Fernandez, the second youngest free agent in MLS history, is now with the Rapids as well. They lost Jack Price, one of the best midfielders in Rapids history. Uh, we missed him last year anyway with that injury for most of the season. Rubio Taylor, you already mentioned him. Andrew Gutman's in Chicago now, and Danny Wilson is gone as well. In terms of the tactical approach, we kind of know what to expect from a Chris Armas team. They're largely going to play against the ball. He's a former Red Bull manager who had no success with Toronto and was you know, an assistant at Manchester United and Leeds over in Europe. They want to play against the ball. You had Porrick Smith, uh, CSO for the Rapids, come out and say basically when, when Frazier was let go, like what we've seen, Smith said, is a deviation from that club identity over the last 18 months. And I think that necess- necessitated, easier for me to say, the change. And as far as I read that, the translation is, we're going to stop messing around with the ball. Like we want to go and be more in transition. We want to use our home field advantage playing in Denver. Like we want that to actually be an advantage and be difficult to stop in transition. That's what Armas is going to try to do, probably out of a 4-2-3-1. In terms of the reason for optimism... This team looks a lot different than the one that was at the bottom of the West last year. Three new key starters, one player who could be like a legit all-star candidate in Georgi Mihaljevic. You know, this team is absolutely better than it was last year, and there is real reason to expect that these offseason moves and a clearer tactical approach from Armas will be enough to push them into the playoffs. That would not surprise me at all. The concern, though, and I haven't mentioned this until now because it is a downer, is that two of their three DPs, Georgi's one, Rafael Navarro and Kevin Cabral are the others, those last two are are not good. They have been almost completely unproductive in Major League Soccer. Navarro joined midway through last season, which, granted, maybe we'll give him a Goss theorem. Second year is going to be a boost for him. I'm not so sure. He's, he could end up being fine. I don't think he's going to be great by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, and Cabral just hasn't been good in MLS, period. Last year, those two combined for three goals in 2,000 minutes between them. Two DPs, didn't play more than 2,000 minutes, didn't score really any goals. And MLS, if your DPs aren't scoring, like you're you're not a legitimate threat. And that is a huge concern and the reason why I'm so down on this team in my predictions. My VSP is that only the Red Bulls and St. Louis City will press more outside of their defensive thirds than Colorado. Armas isn't like as press heavy, I think, as those two clubs like to be, but they're going to want to play in transition, and I do think that will make them better in 2024. All right, Joe, you've painted a more positive picture of the Rapids there, and I expect that's excellent stuff. Some reasons to be optimistic, I would say, there. David, will you take us back to Texas, please? Why don't we talk about Dallas, FC Dallas, who, by by my eye, have a decent squad on paper, some USMNT stars, past and present. What are you thinking? Everything's bigger in Texas, so as it should be, that's the dream. Uh, So for Dallas, (laughs) I think, like you said... (laughs) <laughs> it's an exciting year. It's an exciting time right now for FC Dallas fans. I'm hearing it from a ton of Dallas fans as well going into this year. 2023 was a regression from year one under Nico Estevez, who, of course, joined in 2022 after being assistant for Greg Berhalter for a little while. Um, last year probably peaked in their knockout Leagues Cup match against Inter-Miami. It was Messi's first away game with Inter-Miami. It was a 4-4 game. Unbelievable match, and Nico Estevez talked about it all year and saying, like, we went after that game, we attacked, 
We played bold. That's what I want to do. And it was not on display at any other moment besides in that one game. Uh, but it was a high point for them that they could keep pointing to. They were they led the league in a lot of defensive categories, not giving up opportunities. And they were one of the bottom three in terms of chances created and goal scoring. Uh, but they didn't make it to the postseason once again, losing to Seattle in three games. Alan Velasco tore his ACL in that playoff series. So he will miss probably all of this season, who was at the time, their record signing, but that has changed and we'll get to it. Jesus Ferrer also missed that third playoff game. So they did push Seattle to three games. They only lost 1-0 in the third game, and they did so without their two best attacking players. Jesus Ferreira, 13 goals, six assists. So lower statistical year for him, but still led the team in both categories. Hotter Obreon was second. So overall, this was a team that was propped up by elite defense and struggled in the attack. In the offseason, they've lost Hotter Obreon to Austin. They cut Jesus Jimenez, Facundo Quinone, and Jesus Antonio Martinez, who was supposed to be their elite center back and elite center mid that they had brought in over the last two years. Since then, They've brought in record signing Petar Musa, who we've talked about on this show. 25-year-old Croatian center forward from Benfica. The number we're hearing is around 10 or $11 million in that acquisition. It will be a record for FC Dallas, and it's supposed to be a game changer. He should lead the line. They also brought in Patrickson Delgado, a 20-year-old center mid from Independiente de Valle in Ecuador, where Moses Caicedo came from and many other young players. Omar Gonzalez, veteran center mid. And then at the end of the summer window last year, they brought in Asiar Iramende, who ended up being a huge piece of the team in midfield. And so he will come back into the team um, this year. When you look at a Nico Estevez team, I think anyone who watches the U.S. Men's National Team will feel very familiar. It has been a 4-3-3 positional play heavy, sort of rigid team. The expectation is it's going to change this year from what we've heard and seen in preseason. They're going to play five in the back, and then they'll have Paxton Pomacol and Yermendi in midfield in front of that. And there are a few different options of what they can do in front of those two midfielders. Jesus Ferreira should be a chance creator this year uh, with Musa playing a lot higher up the field and then the ability to throw wingbacks into the attack, some of which could be Bernard Camungo, who has played as a forward. Paul Ariola, who's been a DP winger, could play as wingback. They could play inside. They could play as forwards in place of Musa in rotation as well. There's a lot of different options, uh, and I think fans should be excited. I think when you look at this formation, it is a way to remain defensively solid, even though you don't have elite center backs, while also creating more variance into the attack. Guys can come from different positions. Jesus Ferreira and Paul Ariola can both float out wide. It means your wingbacks, if they are guys like Camungo or Sealy, can come inside and join the attack. Musa can drop in. Ferreira can stretch the field a little bit as well. There should be a lot of different options. And that, I think, brings the optimism. They brought put together a record signing while keeping Jesus Ferreira. That is the least Dallas thing we have ever seen. Dallas has been a selling club, and they spend after they sell. So for them to hang on to their highest prized player, but also spend big money, the expectation should be that this is a team that can do better than what they've done over the last four or five years. There's room for pessimism. They don't have an elite center back outside of Nkosi Tafari, who's young and, and hasn't done it before. Their midfield hasn't put together a ton of minutes over the last five years. You've got Iramendi at 34 years old, who's had some seasoning and injuries. And of course, unfortunately, we all know Paxton Pomichol has struggled to stay on the field. He's only played, he's only started over 20 games once 
in his career, but the last two or three years have gotten better. So there's a lot to be excited about. There's a lot to believe in with Dallas. There's a lot of reasons for naysayers to still uh, stand up and sort of say that this team won't take a step forward. My VSP here is that last year they were top five defense, bottom five attack. I think this year their XG differential will be similar. I think the attack will get a lot better, and I think the defense is going to falter because of that. I still think the team's going to get better, but I think they're going to remain in a similar area in terms of the balance of the group. But overall, I still feel like coming into the playoffs, we're going to have more belief in them this year than last year. Yep, I, I love that prediction, Gus. It feels almost like this sliding scale where last year Estevez was really conservative when it came to their attacking play period. And so they didn't do a ton of really free-flowing stuff and a lot of the weight was on Ferreira's shoulders and if he was good, then they were good and if not, then they weren't so good. And the defense, even without elite personnel, was strong because they were conservative in where they lost the ball and how they moved the ball in possession. This year, like you're just straight up adding one more attack into the fray and likely converting a fullback to play some minutes at center back and bringing in Sealy and trusting that your injury prone and old one, one injury prone, one old and injury prone actually midfielders are going to stick around. It feels to me like that sliding scale is going to slide more to the fun, entertaining, neutral side of things and away from the maybe we're just this really strong defensive team like they were last year. All right. Thank you very much for delivering the first iteration of David Does Dallas on TSS. Uh, We go now elsewhere in Texas to Houston, where Taylor Rockwell is going to tell us all about the team that had a lovely playoff run last year. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Houston Dynamo. The too long didn't listen. Ache, ache, get well soon. Uh, Last season, it's strange to say that fourth place in the West was a fairy tale season, but it was. 51 points, good for fourth in the West. I think that's the first time in a very long time they finished that high, even in the top half of the table. They made a run in the playoffs. They knocked out RSL and SKC. They lost to LAFC, unfortunately, for Houston. But most notably, they beat uh, Messi and Messi Inc. uh, and won the U.S. Open Cup. So... The first cup win at club level for Ace Ace being in Houston is not really what I expected, but it is the case. He never won a cup uh, in Europe, but he has done so in Texas. So well done, Hector Herrera. Uh, And how they did all of this is number one through Hector Herrera, but number two through Ben Olsen. Uh, They defend in a 4-4-2 attacking shape. More of a 3-2-5, I am led to believe by my illustrious co-hosts, which means the left back stays home. Right back pushes up into the attack along with Coco Karaskia. Ache Ache and Arthur stay in between. Lots of steady possession. Not necessarily slow possession, but they keep the ball. It can slow down when it gets to the attack, uh, and that's an area where they could do with reinforcements this offseason or needed reinforcements. Uh, But really, with the successes they had and sort of the unexpected successes they had and the evolution of Ben Olsen uh, as a manager... This offseason was about sustaining the core and then strengthening. So let's look at what they've done and see if they did just that. First, I should note, of the three previews I read, all of them listed Griffin Dorsey as an exciting offseason acquisition or signing, when in reality he was just renewed, which shows you that they didn't do a ton in the offseason so far, uh, but he becomes an even stronger presence at right back. It has been a sort of long-term focus, I think. Uh, Mikhail, Michael, the center back, signed to a long-term deal. Coco Karaskia still there. They brought back uh, D- David Goss's favorite player in Major League Soccer, Sebastian Ferreira. Uh, he was loaned out last year. He will replace the departed Corey Baird up top. He also we'll may have torn his ACL last night and be out for the season. Unsure right now. 
Kaboy. Uh They bring <laughs> in Jan Gregus on a free that's going to add depth behind Ace Ace and Artur. Uh, Gregus will likely uh, get a lot of minutes given that uh, Hector Herrera is not starting this season because he's injured. In terms of departures, they lose Corey Baird to Cincinnati, as I mentioned, Matias Vera to Olympia, and designated player Teenage Adebe to uh, Konyaspor, all of those on freeze. So they're they're getting rid, which is good. They didn't get a lot of money in, which is expected. Uh, so they sustained, but I wouldn't say they necessarily strengthened. And uh, this is where I get a little bit maybe down on Houston because you don't have Hector Herrera to start the season. And he, like, again, every preview I read, it cannot be understated how critical he is to the successes this team had, how good he is defensively, but also how critical he is to the attack, how good he is at pulling strings, finding little pockets of space to put the ball into, finding those gaps, uh, and getting involved in the attack himself, getting assists, getting a goal or two, I believe. Um and really reading about him, this is an aside, I've never been more certain that a player was going to one day manage Mexico than I am about Hector Herrera. Given you, when I look at like who he has played for at club level, the type of player he is, I feel like he is a very intelligent player who is very good at communicating with teammates and helping organize. I think he will be a very good manager one day. Unfortunately, he is not starting this season. Uh, Nelson Quinones is expected to miss most or all of the season with any injury. Apparently, Sebastian Ferreira is going to miss a huge chunk of the season. We'll see. But Ferreira aside, we already have two, I would say, medium-sized holes being patched by unproven quantities, essentially, because in the attack... I, I'm not I'm not really sure about Houston, especially if there's no Sebastian Ferreira. It seems like Ibrahim Aliu will maybe start on one side, uh, Coco Carasquilla on the other, I mean, Basi in there too. Uh, but I have big concerns about the attack, and that's before the uh, injury that David mentioned to Ferreira, because even if he's fully healthy, this is a strange way to explain it, but I think it makes sense. Um, he is a perfect striker for Ben Olsen when he was DC United's Ben Olsen. At Houston, where there has been a little bit of an evolution in how Ben Olsen wants to play, I'm not sure he fits as well. Uh, Ferreira is a scrapper. He draws fouls, holding up play. He hassles. He works really hard. But he does not create much on his own, at least from what I saw on his loan last season. He needs service. He needs numbers around him. He can score. Don't get me wrong. He can dribble. But a lot of the time, it feels like he gets into the kind of physicality. He's he's a grappler. He's going to battle. And I'm not sure he's going to get the service that he probably needs. So I have big concerns about their attack, and that is where my very specific prediction comes in. It's pretty generic. I think they're just going to score fewer than 51 goals last year. That's what they scored last season. I think they'll probably still be a playoff team. I'm not sure where they would be in the playoff rankings, but I think it's a rougher year overall because they don't have Hector Herrera to start the season. I think they're going to have to figure a lot of things out pretty quickly, or they're going to be in a pretty negative spot like a month or two into the year. But I don't think they're going to be scoring as many goals. I think they're going to have to focus on being very defensively strong and then get goals where they can. So I think a less attacking season is in store for Houston. Thank you very much, Tali. You had me momentarily confused when you mentioned Ace Ace there. Uh, in Italy, Ace is the most popular juice drink, uh, A-C-E, Ace. It's Arancia Carota Limone, like uh, orange, carrot, and lemon. Uh, so when my kids would say Ace Ace, they were, I don't know whether they're asking for juice or for a Mexican Hector Herrera tape. Yeah, yeah. They, wanted to, they wanted to watch some film. They wanted to watch some tape. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm confused now. That sounds right. <laughs> yeah, it's possible. 
Anyway, <laughs> it's possible. It's definite. That's it's definite, I know for yeah. a fact. You're quite right. Let's. Uh, let's I'm, I'm going to raise my daughters to, to be like. I need to watch some Hector Herrera tape. That, that's that's how I'll know I'm, I'm a good father succeeding. There Taylor, go. I know that you're joking and not being serious. I'm not. I don't have kids. I am being a hundred percent serious that when that happens, if it happens, that that's that is going to be my mo. Okay. So now can we also call him the Juice? Does that work? Let's do that. Ooh, I feel like there's already one it's very not, notable. Not the a juice. great nickname in the yeah. US. <laughs> True. It has connotations. Let's on that note. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the Los Angeles teams. Back shortly. New game day shirt. Boom. Cash back. Food for the tailgate. Boom. Cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one, it's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Did you know that even if you have a 401k for retirement, you can still have an IRA? Robinhood has the only IRA that gives you a 3% boost on every dollar you contribute when you subscribe to Robinhood Gold. But get this, now through April 30th, Robinhood is even boosting every single dollar you transfer in from another retirement account with a 3% match. That's right, no cap on the 3% match. Robinhood Gold gets you the most for your retirement thanks to their IRA with a 3% match this offer is good through April 30th. Get started at Robinhood.com slash boost. Subscription fees apply. And now for some legal info. Claim as of Q1 2024 validated by Radius Global Market Research. Investing involves risk including loss. Limitations apply to IRAs and 401ks. 3% match requires Robinhood Gold for one year from the date of first 3% match. Must keep Robinhood IRA for five years. The 3% matching on transfers is subject to special terms and conditions. Robinhood IRA available to U.S. customers in good standing. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC is a registered broker. Dealer. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our preview of the West. We go to Joe Lowry, who's going to tell us all about the star-studded action and the expensive car parking of LAFC. Joe, take it away. <laughs> Ryan, please never let go of that because it makes me laugh every time. Uh, LAFC, the big picture headline for this team in 2024. Can they take the reins out West and actually have three DPs this year? That is the other question for them. The last season summary, they were third in the Western Conference on 52 points. They ended their season as the Columbus Crews trophy celebrations began with that two-and loss in MLS Cup. And that loss sort of signaled the start of a retooling process after a year full of almost but not quite for LAFC. They reached the final of the CONCACAF Champions League, now uh, C-cubed, which I I saw Phil West use on Twitter that I'm trying to really get rolling here. We'll see if that one sticks. They lost in the CCL final, and then they lost in MLS Cup as well during their record, league record, 53-game schedule across all competitions. They never added a third DP next to Carlos Vela and Dennis Buanga. And I do sort of wonder if John Thornton looks back and, and thinks we were one piece away from winning the two biggest trophies that we wanted to win this year, because that seems like maybe it was factually true. What changed in the offseason? Well, uh, they're missing five starters from MLS Cup coming into the new season. Carlos Vela still has not re-signed. His future is cloudy. Diego Palacios is back in South America. Maxime Cropo is playing for the Portland Timbers now. Kelna Costa is now a Chicago Fire midfielder, and Giorgio Chiellini retired 
but is staying attached to the club and a player de- developmental role. Yeah, Ryan is crushed. I can see the tears get it together, man. In terms of incomings, Hugo Lloris is in in goal, and they're hoping to do a Roman Berkey St. Louis City with a distressed European aging goalkeeper. Worked out great for St. Louis last year, and maybe it will work out really well for LAFC this year. Edward Atuesta is back in the midfield. He was the base of that really, really good Bob Bradley LAFC team. Won trophies, won the Supporters' Shield. Like He was the number six, the single pivot making that really all flow around him. I'm stoked to see him back in Major League Soccer. Omar Campos comes in as a Palacios re- replacement. 21-year-old Mexican left back. Uh, had some success with Santos Laguna and shouldn't have any trouble adapting to MLS. David Martinez, a young player that I'm really excited about. 18 years old, left-footed attacker, He is one of the top young Venezuelan players in the world right now. And Venezuela is producing a lot of really impressive young talent right now. So that says something about Martinez. He can play almost anywhere in the attack and really, again, really likes to cut in on that left foot. And then Thomas Angel is another one. Young Colombian attacker. Can play as a nine. Can play in the half spaces. I'm guessing we're going to see a decent bit of him as a nine this season. Just because LAFC still have two DP spots open. There are question marks in the attack. Especially in terms of how they'll play. Steve Terundolo has a lot of good players at his disposal even with some holes still in the squad, but he likes to play in transition. He doesn't really want to do a bunch of pretty possession stuff. It's a 4-3-3 for the most part, although with Atuesta and Ilya Sanchez in this squad, a 4-2-3-1 uh, from time to time would not surprise me. Uh, you, you think about Torundolo, and he, he absolutely wants to play against the ball. He wants to press. They're able to control possession because they do have quality in every line of the field. They can still kind of like improv their way through some defensive blocks, but they are that is not a strength of theirs. In fact, it, it was a really, really big issue for them at times last season. The optimism right now is that the West is just not as strong as the East. LAFC are still going to be among the best teams. They have Dennis Bowanga, who won the Golden Boot last year. They kind of check all the boxes. I don't know if they check them fully. Like, if, maybe if you're shading it in, just like a light shade that may or may not get read on the test scanner. But, like, there's something in the box. You can tell that there's something there. Bowanga is elite. He is an MVP candidate each and every year at this point. Uh, Christian Oliveira out on the wing is a fantastic young player. I mentioned Martinez as well. They can get production from the wide areas. And if you want ball progression, Atuesta this year, Tim Tillman, Ilié, Bogush, they're all good at that stuff. And the defense can absolutely execute what Chirundolo wants to do. Aaron Long's in for a bigger role this year after being relegated to the bench last season. And that's the stuff that he does well. Like, he, he is able to deal with some of the pressing moments here if he is a starter for this team moving forward. The concern is that, like, the roster's still super incomplete. I talked about it yesterday with NYCFC. They started last year without a full squad, And they missed the playoffs. That's not going to happen to LAFC. They're still absolutely going to be a top three team in the Western Conference. But you look at this team and it's just not done yet. And that is a concern. My VSP, Atuesta, I mentioned it before. One of my favorite players to watch in MLS history. One of my most favorite players to watch in league history. He's going to hit at least three passes that make my jaw drop. And that I bring up at an annoyingly frequent rate on the show on our Tuesday MLS recaps. He is just so good on the ball. I love watching him. Listener, you will too if you haven't already. LFC going to be good. How good? We'll find out. So, Joe, when you have your kids that are crunching Ache Ache tape, one's going to be named Eddie, the other one's going to be named Atuesta. Yeah. Does Atuesta work? It kind of works as a first name. Yeah, let's do it. I think this, I think this works well, Goss. I'm into it. <laughs> how, how much of a problem, Joe, is it that the, the roster questions remain at this point? Or is it just one of those MLS things that will just resolve pretty quickly? <sighs> Before I answer that, also, I'm taking back, I'm not doing Eddie and Atuesta, I'm doing Dagger Dan Thorhalsen for both of my children, if if I have two, because that is the best name in MLS, and I don't know what I was thinking. Uh, I was peer pressured both into Eddie Atuesta. Name. Strong, strong. I'm, I like I'm that. Cha- <laughs> yeah, I'm changing it. Dagger is just so tight. Anyway, 
It's a concern. Kevin Long's the best name in MLS, but that's just me being spicy. Right? No, absolutely. Uh, Griffin Dorsey surely is the best. uh, Griffin is real for a Harry Potter fan such as yourself, Joe. (laughs) Yes. Um. We. I. I honestly forgot we. Okay. Yes. Is are the roster (laughs) stuff? Is that a problem? (laughs) Man, I was frazzled, guys. Um. Yeah. It's not great. Like it. It doesn't make me absolutely fall in love with what this team's going to do from day one of the Western Conference. If I'm John Thornton, I would love to have as many key pieces in as possible. The challenge and the benefit for the LA clubs is that you know, there's real appeal to just waiting until the summer window because if an Antoine Griezmann or Olivier Giroud walked in the door at BMO, whatever it is now, would anybody really be shocked? Nope. I, I had a predictions piece go out for backheel this morning, and I predicted that Giroud is, is going to be the biggest summer acquisition in MLS. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. But it feels imminently possible for this team, and the idea of just filling a DP spot to fill it when there could be something better in the summer you know, is not an easy calculation to make. So I don't all the way blame Thornton, but it's it's not awesome for this club. Wow, Giroud in Hollywood. Watch out, ladies. I like the sound of that one. Uh, David, will you take us uh, down the street to Carson? For, you like uh, the sign of watch at- out, ladies, Giroud is coming? <laughs> that's, that's a, well, I know what you mean, but for a moment, time like, before we start <laughs> recording today. <laughs> it's, it's- <laughs> The 50-foot Giroud just storming the streets of Los Angeles. That's the way I hear that. He was voted best hair in all of soccer like a week ago, Taylor. You know, I'm just saying. He's got an aesthetic. That's all. To be clear, Ryan is specifically dressed as your aunt in Chicago right now. So (laughs) he's just talking to his people. David's referring to the fact that I am in my cardigan era right now. uh, And I'm wearing some glasses. That is, Mm. uh, I'm not not ashamed of that. David, uh, are you ashamed of LA Galaxy's performance last season? How are you feeling about them this season? I would start by saying we go down the street to the crappy version of LA right now and to the LA Galaxy, which my first sentence that I wrote was last year they missed the playoffs and in all capitals, they sucked. Long time executive. But how do you how do you like really feel about last? Season? I cannot believe that I've not been tossed under the bus yet. Rightfully so, oh, my God, Joe. I'm oh, Joe, don't worry, you're in here. You've got it. You're, you're, it's coming. Thank you. Long time executive Chris Klein, who's run this team for about 17 years, finally was let go after fan protest, and he was suspended by the league for half of last season. And then eventually, I believe after the season, Jovan Karofsky, who's been assistant GM and GM and whatever other title. Uh, they've made up for him, was let go after a number of years as well. Will Kuntz was brought in as the new CSO, former LAFC assistant GM, working under John Thornton, an MLS league employee. When you talk about this team, they were eliminated from the playoffs. They were old, they were disjointed, and they were porous defensively. Now, you've got the front office changes and you've got roster changes. Two of their DPs are out. Chicharito and Douglas Costa both have left. Three to four other starters are out. I didn't know how to write that because I couldn't tell you what an LA Galaxy starting lineup was last year. It changed so much, but Tyler Boyd, Raheem Edwards, Ari Rossell, Kevin Leardam, Sega Koulibaly, all of them have left, and some of them have been replaced. The big news is at the designated player spots. So, so far, Gabriel Peck has been brought in as a young DP from Vasco da Gama. He was one of the tops in Brazil in take-ons, attempted... And one, he's Brazilian U23 international winger. And we'll get to the second signing potentially coming up. Diego Fagundes was brought in. Phenomenal two years ago in Austin. Rocky year last year. Should be a big upgrade on the wing. And Miki Yamane, a 30-year-old three-time Japanese league best 11 right back, was brought in as well. And the biggest signing of the offseason. Of course, Joe, sing it with me. 
John McCarthy joins the team, switching sides, the leading goalkeeper. I didn't have a song in there, Taylor. I saw your face (laughs) off the back of that. Uh, That is, I believe, Joe in back, he'll put it as a cover story as just standalone, the biggest signing absolutely in, in MLS history. Got to give the people what they want, David. Got to give the people what they want. So the optimism. I cannot tell if this is tongue in cheek. It, it, my, <laughs> my tongue is in my cheek. I don't think Goss's tongue is in his cheek. That is what I assumed. Just wanted to make sure. That, well, the look you actually do... saw was me being like, it's, it's the fry face of like, is this real? I can't tell what's happening. No, Goss anyway. just loves John McCarthy that much. Yeah, anyway, sorry, David, go ahead. Well, now I'm going to do optimism, so the whole thing's tongue-in-cheek. But it sounds like Joseph Painstill, a second designated player signing, is already in L.A. He should be announced any day now. 24-year-old winger from Genk. Uh, and should be about a $9 million signing is what we're hearing. So this team got a lot younger. They went from last year starting, hope they hoped, at the beginning of the year, Douglas Costa, Tyler Boyd, Chicharito, and Ricky Puj in the attack to Dejan Jovalich, who's 22, Painstill, who's 24, Peck, who's 23, and Puj, who's 23, starting this season. So they got younger. They should have gotten more dangerous in possession. Um, and the hope is that all these players can hit year one because of the quality that they're at, because Ricky Puj is so special, and because we are hearing that they used this insane concept of scouting and process to bring these players in. So instead well, of slow down, just slow down. Yeah. It this is this is where MLS is taking leaps and bounds past the man cities of the world. What they <laughs> did was they watched the players in advance and then they used some sort of data as well as soccer analysis to see would these players fit in to our team, not just have we heard of them. So that's all the <laughs> positive. The pessimism is there's only so much you can do in a short time. Like it's you're, you're trying to fix 10 years of issues at this club. There are holes, I would say, at center back, at center forward, at goalkeeper, and depending on Gaston Brugman's health and some other things, potentially at center mid as well. So if you think a spine is important for a team, that spine could be um, – I don't even have a spine joke in there. A spine could be broken. That was the best I could do for you. I have two VSPs. I would I would just add, I think a spine is just just important. Period. You don't have to emphasize for a team. Like broadly oh, speaking, you think I think spines, spines are, are kind critical of for mm-hmm. all things that have a bit, spines. A little bit. I appreciate that you drew that distinction, though. Yeah. Bold. Well, I didn't. I didn't want the amoeba community that listens to this show to feel. <laughs> they both to be very angry. Yeah. <laughs> um, my VSPs. I have two of them. First one for Joe specifically. This team will not make the playoffs once again. So when Joe's preseason comes out and you have them, what, first Sixth. in the West? Six in the West this year. I learned a little from last year. I didn't learn okay. a lot, but I learned a little. And then my second one, more specific, is I think Gabriel Peck will lead MLS in take-ons attempted. He was fifth, I believe, in the Brazilian League. Hmm. It's going to be different for him. Like This is a team that has heavy possession. They try and break down in the end. They end up trying to break down low blocks a lot. I don't think it will be successful for Peck all the time, but I think – as the ball rotates and they build and build, I think he's going to get frustrated or feel like it's his responsibility to try and break things down. Greg Vanny loves wingers. He tried to bring in 75 different wingers in Toronto and never worked for him. He tried, He's tried to do the same for the LA Galaxy. He believes in the game, similar to what we hear from Pep, and now everyone else getting those wingers in the end line, pullbacks to the forward, pullbacks to midfielders breaking into the box. That's where he wants the game to be won and lost. Um, it feels like they've spent about $15 million this offseason to try and make that happen. And the question is if... 
these guys in Peck and Payne still can get in quick enough that they can overwhelm the fact that their defense is horrendous. Excellent stuff. Thank you very much, David. Taylor, will you take us now to Minnesota, please, who are kicking off with interim manager Cameron Knowles. I, I'm trying to think of a team anywhere kicking off with an interim manager. Their second interim manager. Yeah, Their baby. first one already left. Um, yeah, it's an interesting one. Uh, Joe, I think it's on you to make the entire thing about the Galaxy lest we forget, B, that you had them second. Tom Bogart had them first last year. Ha. So he's really the one that we should all focus our What a, our, what our a dweeb. Yeah, I would never have them close to the top of the West. <laughs> uh, We're different, Tom. Said, you and me, different. I am genuinely uncomfortable that of the three teams I have now mentioned, I am the most optimistic about Minnesota, <laughs> and yet they are on their second interim manager. Here we go. Uh, 11th in the West last season uh, after a stronger 2022 in which they were sixth. They missed the playoffs for the first time in four seasons. Uh, but looking at the numbers, they had almost the same number of goals. They scored 46 last year, 48 the year before, conceded the exact same number, 51. Uh, the difference was just that they went from 14 wins to 10 and fewer draws, which means, to my mind, they lost games or failed to draw games that they were getting results in the year before which to me means they lacked difference makers and ways to find a way through and get those wins. Part of that would definitely be explained by the fact that by by uh, Emmanuel Reynoso, skip preseason, gets suspended, doesn't make an appearance until June. Uh, that definitely doesn't help. Adrian Heath sacked with two games left. So you have vacancies in the managerial position, but because of Heath's responsibilities in terms of the front office as well, you have vacancies there. So in the offseason, they bring in uh, Khalid El-Ahmad, their new chief soccer officer. We've talked about him a few times on the show. Hired away from Barnsley in November. I believe he's a former Man City scout, uh, but did not arrive in Minnesota until late January, which means no permanent manager because he is going to take his time to figure that one out. So in the meantime, it's Cameron Knowles, uh, formerly the head coach of Minnesota United's reserve team uh, in MLS Next Pro. He has the interim tag, as I said, their second interim manager, but that, to me, means their approach is going to look pretty similar to what it's looked like under Adrian Heath with maybe a few little wrinkles in there. I welcome uh, Joe and David to uh, add those wrinkles if they so choose at the end of this one. In terms of incomings, there haven't been a ton of arrivals because, again, they're sort of, I think, doing everything now, now that El Ahmad is there. And I don't think that they're going to do everything in a rushed sort of way. But they've brought in Victor Eriksson, center back on loan uh, from the Swedish top flight. Uh, Alejandro Braun is a defensive midfielder on loan from uh, Herediano. He's a 22-year-old Costa Rican. Caden Clark, an attacking midfielder from RB Leipzig. We've talked about him before. We'll see what happens with him this season. It, so I think when I went into this preview, my, uh, my expectation was that they were almost going to be in a similar situation to like what David talked about with Toronto yesterday of just chaos. They don't have anything set. They don't know who they're going to be. They don't know what they're going to do. That is not really the case is, is what I am seeing or what I'm feeling at least, because as we've talked about, the West is the weaker of the two conferences. So I think being decent, even just decent gets you into the playoffs and Minnesota have Reynoso backballing. They've got Robin Lud back healthy and they've got Temu Puki who they did not have to start last season. He's a summer acquisition. And quite an acquisition he was. 10 goals and 14 appearances over 1,400 minutes. Reynosa chipping in 6 goals and 5 assists and 18 appearances. So I think just having those two in there, having Robin Lud healthy, I think can be a difference for them. There's going to be some questions along the back line. There's going to be some questions in the midfield where 
You've got Will Trapp, who's now 31. You've got Kevin uh, Kervin, excuse me, Ariaga, who is, uh, to my understanding, inconsistent. Asani Dotson will probably start in there as well. Uh, so I think there is depth. There are some interesting wrinkles. Uh, they have some attacking creativity. They've got uh, Bongi, is it, David? Bongi at right Bongi wing was muted. Thank you. That was said quickly. Uh, and I said, and as I said, Robin Lode on the left side. Uh, so my two very specific predictions for them. The first would be they're not going to hire a permanent manager until maybe mid to late May at the earliest. Goss has his finger in the air. What have they hired somebody today, David Goss? Uh, the athletic report that came out yesterday was that they've approached Eric Ramsey, 32-year-old set-piece coach at Man U and are discussing terms, but that could take a while, or that could be false. Hey, you know what? I'm sticking with my prediction. I like that. that stick to your, actually, after they sign him, you should still stick to your VSP. I will. I Because I was going to say, even if Knowles does well, even if they start the season really strongly, and the team is humming, I don't know if they would have made him permanent. I don't know if they need to rush this decision because of the situation they find themselves in. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they're going to try to get all this done really quickly and get a coach in and see what happens. It just it doesn't feel, given this, the circumstances and the situation, it doesn't seem like something that you just like throw something in there and hope that it sticks, and then you find yourself in a potential chaotic situation if it doesn't. Uh, so... Potentially, I'm horribly wrong, and they appoint somebody tomorrow. I look forward to not getting that prediction point. And it's okay, because I will get this prediction point. Uh, Tamu Puki will smash Minnesota United's single-season goal-scoring record. Uh, can anyone guess what their goal-scoring record is oh, for a single season? Like, like 11? 12? Yeah, somewhere in that range. A little bit higher. Uh, Christian Ramirez with 14. Uh, Darwin Quintero nice. second with 11. Tamu Puki is third. Uh, in terms of single season <laughs> goal scoring record yeah. with his, with his, uh, 10 goals last season. He's tied for third, I should say. But he looked his usual self, solid finisher, smart in the box, uh, difficult to handle, can draw fouls. And I think having Reynoso, I'm not breaking any new ground here. I think this is the consensus feeling about Minnesota. Having Reynoso playing, having Temu Puki there, having some difference makers who are fit and healthy is enough to get them at the very least into the playoff conversation. And then we'll see if the stability follows. Yeah, Taylor, I think I think all that is spot on in terms of the roster construction. One more beat for me on the, the tactical side and the managerial stuff, just because of that Ramsey news. And there's also been some rubblings out of Minnesota that they're trying to press more this year. Uh, and I'll be honest, I don't see how that's going to happen when you play with a true number 10 in Reynoso who doesn't defend and Timo Puki who's old. Like I, I don't really see that happening, but I'm curious to see if it's going to. Uh yeah, maybe. Uh, then you look at Ramsey. His resume is fascinating. Like, he will be the youngest coach in MLS by, what, seven years? Nick Cushing's the current youngest. If he is hired, and it, it seems like this is going to happen probably sooner rather than later, RIP that VSP. Uh, like, he, he will be the youngest coach in MLS by a, a country mile. He's only ever been an assistant. He was an assistant with Wales under Rob Page and uh, in Manchester United as well. He's kind of worked his way up the ladder a little bit there. But really, his job has been set-piece coaching and individual development with Manchester United. He's not, like even the number one or the number two on that staff behind Eric Ten Hag. So it's a it's a big risk from El Amad. It, it is also something that I think is super fun and interesting, and I think maybe a risk worth taking because managers probably matter less and in slightly different ways than we, we typically think that they do. So it's certainly something to follow to see exactly what this team looks like and, and when or if Ramsey will take over. Don't and, worry, Ryan. I'm going to make this go longer. First, Goss, go ahead. Well, the rumors were that El Amad tried to hire Ramsey as well. Yeah, before in the league one or the championship, wherever he was on the whole coaching thing. Like this is going to be a fascinating case study. If Cameron Knowles is around for a while 
as an interim of just like what what does a manager mean? Because sometimes we fetishize it of like, oh, managers, tactics, styles, like this can change everything. I think it depends on the team. But also I think sometimes we forget like what order can bring for players and knowing who's making decisions and what your club looks like and like what your future is. So we're going to learn, I think, a lot about just how that position and genuine full-time manager affects a group of players. Because Taylor, like you said, this is not a team that needs a manager to have a million ideas and change everything up. Like most of us could roll this team out the way it will be rolled out under most managers, but you also don't have that voice and vision and just assurances of like what, the world looks like if you're a young player trying to break into this team, if you impress Cameron Knowles, what does it mean for your future? If you're someone sitting on the last year of your contract, if you play well, if you get into the team, how does it affect you? Though All those things players are thinking about all the time. Last thing I'd add, because I'm the only one who watched MLS Next Pro is like Cameron Knowles team I thought was pretty good. They were older and a little bit more physical than most teams because Minnesota doesn't have a built out academy. It was a lot of college grads and he played super direct and I thought he played fairly pragmatic for them to be successful with what they had. So I don't think he'll throw wrinkles in that are unnecessary. The type of coach he is, I think, fits what this group is. I want to talk about some of their young players. I also want to say MLS Next Pro could not be more of a name designed by committee of like, how do we tell them that it's youngsters who are also still professional? I've got an idea. Uh in terms of youngsters, uh, I mentioned Caden Clark. They've got Moses Nyman, who's a player I was hyped about when he was with Loudoun United and got a few appearances with DC United. I don't know if he is actually going to be a player that gets consistent minutes for them, but those two, I think, do have me more excited to see what they do, if anything, with uh, Minnesota United. I don't know anything or very little about uh, Jordan Adebayo-Smith, the 23-year-old forward they signed from, I think, the Revolution 2 squad, which... Uh, seems like David Goss's territory. Goss, have you seen much of him? Do you have any thoughts on him or what he might bring? Yeah, he played for the Rowdies in USL, and then he played for New York Red Bulls too the last year I covered them, and then I covered him with the Rev. So he's got Your bona fides are established. He's yes. improved a lot over the last two years. The first thing that comes is he puts pressure on a back line. He can stretch the field, but he's also really physical, and he's clean in possession. So if you can play him into space, he can hold off defenders, uh, and he can finish with both feet, and that's... That's been the promise with him, which is why he's moved around without actually producing for a couple of years. And then he finally hit with the Revs last year. And if you watch the Revs at all and you know, there was decent buildup to feed into him. I would be surprised if he was a genuine difference maker this year, uh, but they paid a transfer fee for him. And like the Revs had the option to bring him through. And so I think this is interesting from Minnesota. I think Minnesota is trying to backfill the lack of an academy while they try and build it up because those are affordable players you can put into a team to help have a high-end roster, especially if you're a team like Minnesota that doesn't want to overspend. And so I think they're trying to find these pieces around other clubs, which they had done in the draft with Hassani Dotson and guys like that in the past. That is the end of my uh, thoughts on Minnesota United, <laughs> a.k.a. Uh, me, assisted by Goss and Joe. Back to you, Ryan. Thank you very much, Taylor, for that insight into our wonderful, loving friends. We go now, Joseph, to Portland. Phil Neville. Yeah. Yeah. Very fun. Uh, I'll just do the tactical part now. It's probably going to look really similar to what it looked like under Gio Savarese. And, like, not, there's not going to be any real changes. There may be a structural, like, shape change. Anyway, the big picture headline for 2024 so much went wrong last year, but they've addressed key issues in, I think, smart-ish ways. 
the, the big question is, like, can this team actually be one that competes towards the top of the West? Because if they hit a couple of DPs, they absolutely will be in that conversation. Last year, 43 points, 10th in the Western Conference. They had major issues in goal last year. Key midfielders down went down with long-term injuries. Evander did not live up to his eight-figure transfer fee. And the other two DPs in the squad massively underperformed. Gio Savarese was fired by August. So it was not a good year for the Portland Timbers. That is a big old chunk of lowlights. It was not all bad. There are building blocks, and I'll get to those shortly. But overall, it was very clear that change was needed for this team to push themselves back into like, meaningful conversations in the Western Conference. In terms of those changes, Phil Neville already came up. We'll get to more of the tactics stuff very shortly, and I won't spend much time on that at all. Kamal Miller is into the back line, acquired in a trade via Inter-Miami. And Maxime Cripeau is in gold, signed as a free agent from LAFC. I've just got all the Max Cripeau, like, associate teams. I don't have Vancouver. Darn it, never mind. Anyway, this uh, this is a huge get, I think, for Portland to, to actually go out there and get a goalkeeper that's proven to be an above-average player at whose position in MLS. They leaked so many goals last year. Only the Galaxy gave up more using that push-shot expected goal metric. Like, they were atrocious when it came to keeping the ball out of their own net. Cropo has highs and lows, but we saw in the playoffs last year, his highs are super high, and even his lows are well above the highs for Portland last year as a no-brainer get from them. Uh, the DP spots are still open next to Evander, so two still open. Uh, you have folks in Portland talking about how they're going to make big splashes with those moves. Uh, maybe show us, don't tell us, and, and I'll judge those at that point. In terms of the outgoings, Yumichara is gone. I, uh, I, I guess I'd like to pinpoint the DPs that are just really bad. Uh, Yumi Chara, one of the worst DPs in MLS history as well. Maybe not quite as bad as, as the ones we hit yesterday, but just a complete nothing burger for Portland over the last several years. Jaroslav Nioskoda as well has gone addition by subtraction in both of those DP spots. And then Sebastian Blanco, a player who's kind of just faded away in Portland because he dealt with injuries last year, not back this year, is one of the best, I think, players in MLS, certainly in this recent era, and is one of the best Portland Timbers players of all time. He will be missed. Uh, tactically, I already touched on Neville. The only thing that could be different is the uh, maybe the addition of a back three more often this year. We saw the Timbers do that at times last season, but with Kamal Miller, who kind of thrives as a left-sided center back in a three rather than in a two, that could push them you know, further in that direction. And when I saw Portland play in preseason out here in Phoenix, it was a 5-4-1 block from them in a, a mid-block. They're not going to press a ton. They're not going to like sit in a low block all the time. They're not going to possess the ball. They're not going to be long ball FC. It's just a lot of middle ground stuff from the Portland Timbers and Phil Neville. Optimistic point for this team. The talent level is either right now or will be very shortly noticeably higher than it was last season. Goalkeeper has been addressed. The back line has improved. You toss in a, a second-year bump from Evander, Gostinerum style, and you get Eric Williamson back, a fringe U.S. men's national team player who was a very, very good central midfielder in Major League Soccer. Like, that's a, a whole new acquisition all on its own. You have made meaningful upgrades, and if you add a couple of big-money DPs up top, this team could absolutely finish third in the Western Conference and would not shock me in the slightest. The concern is the front office just doesn't have a great track record when it comes to some of the DP moves. They've missed on each of their last four. Brian Fernandez was good, but off-field problems were a real, real issue for him. Chara wasn't good. Nioshkota wasn't good. And Evander, jury's out, like, in a big way still on him. So there's not a lot of faith, I think, for fans to have in the front office for a whole host of non-soccer reasons as well. Ned Gravaboy is is now the, the CSO and has only been in that post for about a year, but he's been in the Portland organization for, for several years now. So that is the concern. Uh, I, I'm kind of split right down in the middle, and I think I had Portland kind of reflecting that in my predictions in terms of the standings. My VSP, two young players I haven't mentioned that I like a lot. 
Either Santi Moreno or Juan Mosquera will make a three-plus million dollar move to Europe at some point in the next two transfer windows. Mosquera is the more likely of the two. I think he's the better player of the two. He is a, a right back, young, uh, likes to get up and down, can overlap, can underlap, physical presence, technical on the ball. He is one of the best fullbacks in the league period of any age, and, and I think he's got a bright future. And then Moreno, he is another Colombian, young, what I think 23 years old, kind of played in a few different roles last year, free eight, number 10, winger. I don't love him on the wing. I like him more inside, but he doesn't control the field super well. He's a little bit of an enigma, but very, very talented when he's on the ball with a European future, I think, as well. So one of those two guys is headed to Europe. Those are both players to watch this season for Portland. Joe, quick question from me, if you don't mind. Um, who had better addition by subtraction this year, Portland or Charlotte? Oof. Uh, Portland, just because Swiderski was actually good, and neither... I mean, Neoscoto was fine, but not as good as Swiderski, and we just assumed Josviak and Char are the same. So I'm, I'm going to say Portland. Do you think that Mascara is a better prospect that people will sign, or you think he's a better soccer player than Santi Moreno? Both. I think he is a more effective player at his position than Santi Moreno is, and I don't think it's particularly close. I am blown away right now. Yes. I always like to surprise you, David. It's fun. I love <laughs> Santi Moreno, and he's one of those guys that I wish wasn't there because I think he could be central to a really good team in MLS that wasn't the Portland Timbers, but... I'm excited to see what he does this year with, as you said, MVP finalist Evander. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yes. Confusion. Yes. We're going to say yes. That's definitely what I said. I feel like you guys are really sleeping on all, all of his Europa League assists or mm. whatever it was. Well said, Taylor. Well said. <laughs> Marvelous stuff. David, oh, let's go Sorry. To Real quick. This is more important than this transition. I do have Vancouver. Suck it. I was wrong. Just forgot about it. And Kripo is mine in every way. Ryan, you may now transition us Did forward. You- I think you just invited yourself to suck it, but okay. Anyway, go ahead. I was more like a general suck it directed towards the haters, I guess. Um, It was directed towards your own mistake, Joe. I believe it was. To be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever. Anywho. It's not its fault. (laughs) David, it is indeed. David Gus is going to take us now to Utah. Rail Salt Lake, who are kicking off the season this Wednesday, as we record, probably in about three minutes from when we finish at the rate we're going, David. But uh, tell us about uh, RSL, please. Yeah, I'd just like to say congratulations to RSL for their 7-1 win in Miami to open up the season. That just finished moments ago. Um, It was really exciting to have this moment in MLS that we've all been waiting for, which was Messi's debut as his first full season. And of course, then followed by a hat trick by Zach McMath. It was really cool to watch. So congratulations to RSL and everyone uh, around them for RSL. uh, This year, it feels like the big story is just, this is going to be the first full year of what they hope is the new future under ownership, ownership, new ownership took over. Um, early in 2022, so they kind of were finding their feet all year. And then last year, it felt like that they finally started to put everything into place, but only in the summer. So they brought in Chicho Arango and a massive deal in the summer. And going into the League's Cup, they were, I believe, third in the Western Conference, trending in the right direction. They had a ton of injuries down the stretch. They ended up finishing fifth in the West under Pablo Mastroeni. And then they've had a weird offseason since. They reshuffled their front office without letting anyone go. So they promoted Kurt Schmidt to CSO. They've moved some other pieces around. And then they fired all of Pablo Mastroeni's assistant staff. And they've brought in all former head coaches underneath him. So Nate Miller, who ran the San Diego Loyal. Hamasen Olave, who was working uh, in MLS Next Pro. Of course, Taylor's favorite division uh, in Utah. And some other big names as well. 
Uh, from a player point of view, it's been kind of quiet. They brought in Alice Katranis, a Greek left back. Matt Crooks, a second forward slash attacking midfielder from Middlesbrough. And then Fidel Barajas, who, similar to what they did with Diego Luna, was the elite USL young attacking player chance creator that they've acquired via transfer. I understand some of the lack of movement in the window because Chicho Arango came in late last summer. They have young players they've signed over the last year and Andres Gomez, Gomez, Nelson Palacios, and of course Diego Luna that they expect to continue to progress. And then Pablo Ruiz, who was maybe their MVP for the last two, three years, he will return from his long-term injury. They've lost a bunch of solid pieces, Demir Krylock, Danny Musovsky, Jasper Lafelson, Rubio Rubin, and then the big one is Jefferson Severino, who was their DP that returned to the club last year, ended up having a very odd year, was left out of a team, tweeted about it, disagreed with the club, did not seem happy, and so I think this is sort of better off for everyone with him leaving. Normally, this team sets up in a 4-4-2, could change maybe to a 4-2-3-1 with Luna underneath Chicho Arango. They're a team that likes to defend in a mid-block, but they struggle to do so, I think, in set defense moments. And then they became too easy to break down. They struggled a lot at the center back position, both organizing and 1v1. But they were really good at attacking into space when they won it back in transition. Chicho Arango made that better. He also made them more dangerous in possession. So when healthy... He can be a difference maker for them. That leads me to my VSP um, for this RSL team, which is I think they will be top five in passes completed in Major League Soccer this year. So they have been top five in long passes completed over the last few years. Short passing has been a struggle. I believe Nelson Palacio will step in and start alongside Pablo Ruiz a lot and Chicho Arango, the ability to play to his feet, that this team can become a much higher possession team and while Pablo Mascherini isn't known for that, he's also known for being pragmatic. And I think that's what we learned from Ben Olsen last year is these are coaches that play to their talent, whatever that talent is. And it feels like this is a team that could be a higher possession team. That's awesome. I, lo- I love that VSP. I I will be floored if it comes to fruition, but I think it, it illustrates the point really, really well. And I want it to happen for you guys. I do. Also, we, we don't have time for this whole convo, so we'll do it later. But you talked about Colorado. You talk to any coach around American soccer, Canadian soccer, there's not a clear decision of what altitude should mean to your team. Mm. Like in theory, you should play high possession so the other team runs a lot. Colorado's now trying to lean into high pressing because they'll be fitter than other teams. So it'll be interesting to watch these two clubs yeah. at the same time at altitude sort of figure out their identities. I, I am still stuck on the sacking Mastrani's assistants and then bringing in former coaches. Is that is that not like just a straight up threat of like, we've got a line of successors. If this doesn't go well, like what's the thinking behind that? Do you think the thinking is that you need that a head coach, and this goes back to the Cameron Knowles conversation actually doesn't have that much responsibility day in and day out. And having uh, the higher here. level professionals around them <laughs> will make the team better. And that you just set a tone yeah and a vibe as the manager, and I have no idea if that's true. As we all know, the saying is, you need way more Chiefs. That That's <laughs> always the uh, the yeah. expression that we go with there. Yeah, what could go yeah. wrong? You just made Joe more powerful by saying that about the, the coaches as well. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> all right, thank you very much, David, for that RSL preview. Putting it to Joe Lowry's veins right there. We're going to take a quick break. We've got five more Western Conference teams to go through shortly. Today's episode of the Total Soccer Show is brought to you by Indochino. 
MLS is back, which means MLS fits are back. We got to see FC Dallas's cowboy hat move from player to player, and Iramendi rocked that thing after their win recently over the San Jose Earthquakes. We're getting to see pregame fits. Another FC Dallas player, and Kosi Tafare never disappoints. Will Trapp over in Minnesota has surprisingly good pregame fits for the Loons. Athletes love to have the right fit, and so do we. We love wearing our sports gear, but you can't wear a jersey all the time. Indochino makes fully customized suits that don't require a trip to the tailor to get that perfect fit. Indochino has high quality suits that are designed to fit you. They're made to your exact measurements and customizations, endless customization options at that. This is custom clothing, folks, at a surprisingly affordable price. We're talking quality wools, linen, and cotton in different colors and patterns. Indochino.com is your one-stop shop for all of this stuff. The ordering process is easy. The site is super simple, clean, and easy to use to find suits, shirts, pants, blazers, outerwear, all of that good stuff over at Indochino.com. If you want to level up your game with Indochino, go to Indochino.com and use code ATHLETIC to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com with code ATHLETIC. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com with code ATHLETIC. This episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs, who would like to remind you when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. You don't want to end up with Ryan, Graham, and Joe. Just kidding. Just kidding. Very much just kidding, because I was very fortunate to have the three of them all join the show, and I had existing relationships with all three of them that allowed me to know that they could handle the the the, uh, the amount of work that would be required, that they could be diligent in their tasks and be very effective on mic, and all three of them are. But again, that's because you have the existing relationship. If you don't feel like you have that with potential hires, then LinkedIn is going to make it very, very easy, and they're going to make it feel like you are connected to that person. They have a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire because it gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. But when you are setting the requirements and making it very specific as to what you're looking for, you can very quickly narrow it down to find the right candidate for that position. Hiring is easy when you have that many candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring, and you can too. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash TSS. That's linkedin.com slash TSS to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Thank you very much to LinkedIn for sponsoring today's episode. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our Western Conference previews. We go now to California, where Taylor Rockwell is going to take us through the action at the plosive perfection of PayPal mm-hmm. Park. Wow. Yeah. Uh, my Shout TL... out to the pop filter on that one, fellas. Yes, wow. sir. Let's do this, do this work <laughs> My TLDL on this one is, it could always be worse. Matias Almeida could still be there. Uh, last year, ninth in the West, uh, 44 points from 34 games. Seems very meh until you remember that the year before they were last in the West, conceded a whopping 69 goals. So how did they make the progress? Luchi ball. Uh, Luchi Gonzalez got buy-in for his positional play approach. Uh, The attack did stagnate pretty considerably, 13 fewer goals uh, than in that last play season. But I think the argument there would be 
they were less open and expansive, which is why they conceded fewer. Uh, but there is also an argument that maybe they didn't have enough talent across the board in the attack uh, to make things happen. Maybe there wasn't also the familiarity with the attack and the system. And then the midfield really didn't help in terms of creativity and production. Um, and then I think I am... Not the first to point out that the defense also might have looked worse were it not for Daniel, the uh, Brazilian goalkeeper who arrived from the top flight in Brazil last year. 29-year-old was one of the best stopper, shot stoppers in the league. Uh, so he definitely helped them uh, have a, a stronger season. So in terms of what they have done to then improve, I feel like they've made smart signings so far. They bring in Vitor Costa, 29-year-old left back from Portugal who is very attacking. He will be a starter. Uh, Bruno Wilson, 27-year-old center back from Vizela, also in Portugal. Right-footed, good in possession and distribution. He will be a starter. Rodriguez, uh, the center back made permanent. 26-year-old Brazilian center back. He's going to start. Uh, and with Daniel there... You've got four of your five back line all speaking Portuguese. Uh, so whoever else fills in b- better start practicing, do some Duolingo. Uh, Joe, who was it who? Tommy actually, Thompson. There it is. There it will is. do Duolingo and is. learn the language. There that is, is a given. I think Tommy Thompson, what, learned Spanish under yeah. Hugo Almeida? There you go. Okay. Uh, so those are some of the acquisitions. But the hype beast, the man himself, is Amal Pellegrino. Yes. Much has been written and talked about uh, th- this veteran. He's 33 years old. Comes uh, from the Norwegian top flight with Bodo Glimt. Uh, he's a right-footed left winger in the last two seasons. 49 goals. Top score for league champions last year. Top score in the league when they finished second the year before. He is a starter. And when I say he is right-footed, he is extremely right-footed. Uh, it's the level of any defender who put him on his left foot. Tended to sort of nullify some of what he was doing, but we'll talk more about Pellegrino shortly. Um, I would say their departures mostly uh, make sense. Cade Cowell had very much stagnated. We've talked about that before. All of his attacking numbers had started going down even before uh, Lucci Ball takes over. So he is gone and I would say having some success now. Uh, Miguel Trauco, Jonathan Mensa, center back Nathan. Uh, none of those I think would be starters given the acquisitions they've had. And then Jamiro Montero, uh, DP number 10. I think they're hurting in that they don't have a replacement lined up right away, but I also think he wasn't replacing over the last couple seasons. So opening up that spot and seeing what else might work is probably a pretty smart move overall. That really is the big question for them, I think, as as the season begins, is what are they going to do with that vacancy? Are they going to try to fill it with a number 10? Do they invest elsewhere? If they go for a 10, who will it be? How quickly can they bring him in? How quickly can they uh, blend into that squad? I think it's a big reason why there seems to be a general negative sentiment about San Jose. I was feeling pretty positive at the end of all this research. And then I went and looked at the uh, the expert rankings that I think the consensus had them 11th to 13th, uh, which I, I David is miming a grain of salt, I do believe there. Uh, so I think Experts, they might. fake I, <laughs> I think there's an argument they'll be better than last season. I think that there's an argument they may improve overall. I'm not sure it will be massively significant but i think the hole in the number 10 spot and then just that like it's probably going to be jackson yule maybe carlos garetzo uh nico sakiris might start in in midfield in the absence of of uh jimmy montero and like he's he's exciting i i'm excited to see what he can do he's 18 years old though uh definitely has room to grow both physically and in terms of his overall gameplay so I think that is is a major limitation. I also think a lot of the hype around Amal Pellegrino 
is not misplaced, but worth sort of putting in perspective. And that's where I'm going to go with my very specific prediction. I think, number one, he's going to score a bending shot with his right foot from outside the box. That's just going to happen. He has... He's able to put like an insane amount of spin and dip on the ball from very little run up. Uh, so I think he will score one from distance. I think he will score goals. I think specifically those goals will be in the second half of the season. I think he scores more goals in the second half than in the first half uh, because he is very good. He is very fun. He's tall. He's skinny. He seems to annoy opponents a lot. He gets fouled a lot. He gets pushed around a lot. He definitely has a theatrical side, put it that way. Um, but he is just a very good goal scorer, as the numbers would suggest. I think, though, in watching footage of him, he I, I, I don't want to like diminish those numbers, but it is a lot of him making really smart runs, like having like decoy passes almost. Two different goals I saw, he started screaming at a teammate to pass to a different teammate, and the defense all just ran to that teammate, and then he made a run in behind and got the ball and scored. Like there, There's a cleverness to the way he attacks, but it is reliant, I think, on other people making the first run, uh, like winning that first 1v1 battle that then the defense has to kind of improvise. And in that improvisation, I think is where he thrives and scores. So I think in the absence of a clear number 10 or a, a like next level number 10, and in the absence of, I think, broadly speaking, next level talent around him in San Jose with maybe the exception of Christian Espinoza, I don't know if he's going to get that service. And so I don't think he's going to look as effective. And I think you'll even see some people talking about like, 49 goals like is this guy kind of a bust like he's 33 is this the the player they should have gone for and I think he will end up being a very exciting goal scorer who does put in numbers for them but I think it's going to take a little bit of time because of the system and because of some of the absences I've mentioned so the hype I think is justified for what he's done but it's worth putting it in context as to how he can then have maybe not similar numbers but very good numbers this season. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Taylor Rockwell. Uh, fans of alphabetical order will note that Seattle is next up. It's Joe Lowry who's going to be telling us about the Sounders. Joe, how's the roster looking? How bullish should Seattle fans be feeling this season? Yeah, this is a good team. And similar to what I said earlier with LAFC, the question this year is not if they'll be good, it's if they'll be great. I'll get on to that shortly. This team is a legit trophy contender. They are transitioning away from two of their biggest stars. One is gone. That's Nico Ladero, who signed with Orlando City in free agency. And Raul Rui Diaz is still around, but nobody's really expecting him to do much this year as he continues to age and, and deal with injuries. Last season, yeah, I know, man, it keeps coming back up. I gotta, I gotta work on myself. Last season, they finished second in the Western Conference, only behind St. Louis City, 53 points. It was a strong but not elite season for Seattle. Goss, you mentioned earlier, they beat Dallas in the playoffs last year, and then a career-defining performance from Maxime Cropot sent them packing in the conference semis against LAFC. Cropot is just gonna keep coming up, folks, on this show. I don't know why. Maybe he's my new John McCarthy. We'll have to find out. As the year progressed, Father Time pretty clearly caught up to Ladero and Rui Diaz, who are the anchors of this past Sounders era, and now they're transitioning into a new one. Off-season changes, both a lot changed and a little, in that the, the new era has sort of begun, but it looks an awful lot like the old era. Hmm. They, they took one big swing in the offseason, and that was signing Pedro de la Vega, Taylor's favorite, from Lanús in Argentina, 23-year-old yep. winger. Uh, he does not have the kind of track record that suggests he's going to break games wide open in Major League Soccer. You watch the tape, you look at the numbers. He doesn't really pop, and this is a case of 
I think we all end up trusting the Sounders because they hit on a lot of players. Joe, do and, you even know his FIFA potential? Like, come on, man. Man, my, my ignorance is showing. I can't even believe it, Taylor. It's embarrassing for me. You got uh, Why am I even on this show? Like, the, the guy is clearly talented, good 1v1 dribbler, just doesn't really create in the final third and has only played one season of professional minutes. I, I know I come off sounding very down about him, and I, I don't think he's going to adapt and just change games right away. But man, Seattle have proven over and over again that they're a place that develops, identifies, develops, and plays talent and makes those players better. So I think there is ever reason to be optimistic about De La Vega, but there are you know some concerns there as well. Uh, they brought in a, a depth center back in Danny Musovski up top as well. So you know not a ton of other crazy moves. Ladero's gone, Abair's gone, but every other player besides Ladero who played 1,200 minutes or more in the regular season last year is back this year. So that gives you a lot of clues as to what this team's going to look like it's going to look almost exactly the same. Brian Schmetzer likes to let his talent do the work when it comes to the tactical stuff, which means he'll give them some general like structure, and there's a pretty clear rotation like to go back three in possession and then shift to a 4-4-2 block defensively, but the players are the ones kind of finding the rhythm in the final third. De La Vega to zero in on him is going to be out on the left wing, I would imagine, and we'll see you know, Rusnak pop up in the half space, uh, Kushner roll down in the other half space, Alex roll then high and wide on the right side, and then Jordan Morris kind of roaming as the starting number nine from the jump this year. They're going to have a lot of the ball because they're super talented and teams are afraid of them, so I think they were close to fifth in the league in possession last year, if not fifth. Uh, it was something like 55%. So they're going to keep plenty of the ball, but it's not this Columbus crew, Wilford Nance-esque, super pretty stuff. It is a little bit more... Uh, gritty and how they play, and that kind of fits Brian Schmetzer's personality. The reason for optimism is that this was a good team last year. They've been a really good team almost every year in Major League Soccer, and basically everybody's back with a nice little cherry on top in De La Vega. The concern is that they, they, you know, maybe they don't need De La Vega to be a top winger in MLS to be a 60-point team. I don't think they do. They can absolutely top the league if he scores five goals for them and nothing more this year. But with Ladero gone, there's no clear chance creator. Rusnak's not been that guy in Seattle, even when he's playing as the number 10. And De La Vega certainly isn't that guy. Maybe you get it by committee, and I think that's a pretty safe bet, but it's not you know, the safest of safe bets. So with De La Vega, you, you might need him to be great or for someone to step up in a way that we don't expect to be you know, an absolute favorite to win a trophy, right? There is a lot of good teams coming from the Eastern Conference this year, especially. If Seattle want to go toe-to-toe with them, they're going to need something to push them over the top. De La Vega from day one might not have to be that guy, but by the time the playoffs come around or, or maybe the, the home stretch and the shield race or whatever it looks like, they're going to need him to give them you know, more than five goals to reach their their collective goal as a club. So that's the, that's the concern. Are they going to be great? Time will tell. My specific prediction, I mentioned a lot of tactical continuity, and that's, that's true because Brian Spencer's been around for a while and the players have been around for a while. The one thing, I think their direct speed is going to increase this year. So Optum measures a stat called direct attacking speed. It just measures how quickly you move the ball upfield in terms of meters per second. Super easy. It's always St. Louis and the Red Bulls now that are, are towards the top of this metric. I, I'm predicting that Seattle's direct attacking speed is going to go up. I don't know by exactly how much, but this team with De La Vega, with Morris playing more as the number nine who likes to get in behind and run and be direct, I think this team will shade ever so slightly further down to the direct attacking, you know, line of things while still looking, you know, pretty possessiony and still looking very similar to what we've come to expect. Marvelous stuff. Thank you very much, Joseph. We go now to Mr. David Gus, who's going to tell us all about Sporting Kansas City, who wildcarded their way uh, through to the conference semis last season. David, uh, what are you thinking about this season? I think for Sporting KC fans, it is you have no idea what you're going to get. 2023 was 
a bizarre year. They were the one of the worst teams in MLS history over the course of the first 10 games. So they didn't win a match from kickoff on February 28th till May 7th. Then, right after winning that, they went to St. Louis and lost 4-0. So they had a lot of downs early on. Then they got healthy. Alan Pulido, Gotti Kinda, Johnny Russell available. Uh, they sneak into the playoffs as an eighth seed and end up getting a home game because they had an elite second half of the season before beating San Jose in PKs in the wild card. And then going and being the only team to upset a, a higher seed in the three-game series round one of the playoffs. And they did so against St. Louis, which is what we think is their regional rival. So a bizarre season of massive lows and then pretty big highs. And then you end up getting the bragging rights against your new rival who had a first place season in the Western Conference. Um, Their offseason has been similarly up and down. So they hired Gavin Wilkinson as their new CSO, the former Portland Timbers CSO who was let go uh, from Portland after the story about Paul Riley and his sexual abuse came out uh, with the Portland Thorns while Gavin Wilkinson was in charge of both the Timbers and the Thorns. The Sporting KC hired him on January 11th, and then announced that they were going to let him go on January 19th. So eight days later, because of the reaction coming from their fan base, as well as from fans uh, around the world. In terms of players, Memo Rodriguez is pretty much the only player they've signed in Zoran Basag this year. They let Gadi Kinda go, who was, quote-unquote, a designated player by name only, uh, and two big legends in Graham Zussi and Roger Espinoza. So there's been big moments, there's been... Low moments, there's been a lot of apathy just in the middle from this team, and you can understand why. They finished the year on a high. They also fired the guy that they hired to sign players in the middle of the offseason. So the optimism for this club is pretty obvious. They finished strong. Polito and Russell stay healthy. Their center midfield's as settled as it's been, I think, in the last five, six years. Danny Rosero seems to be the best center back they've signed since Ike Parra left uh, before COVID about five years ago. The pessimism is all of these guys were injured last year or are old or injury prone. They do it again. And with only one signing or two signings so far, they haven't gotten deeper. They haven't gotten younger. They've actually gotten older because Logan and Debe, who was a 22 year old starter towards ACL in the playoffs and will probably miss the full season. So it all happens again. And there's every reason to believe both sides of that. I'm going to choose to believe the positive right now. And I'm going to say, outside of Inter-Miami, I think this team makes the largest goal-scoring jump of the season. So from where they finished last year to where they finished this year, with a healthy Polito, which opens up Shallowy, which opens up um, Tommy, and a healthy Russell, and a stabilized team, this team's going to be where I expect them to be, which is going to be one of the better attacks in Major League Soccer. If SKC fans disagree with that breakdown, I wouldn't be shocked. Again, this team just feels very odd to try and wrap your arms around. All right. Thank you very much. Uh, we go to Taylor Rockwell, who's going to tell us about St. Louis. Taylor, the, the second album, the sophomore album, is always a difficult one for bands to crack, isn't it? And uh, St. Louis, with that incredible debut season, coming in here with Lutz Fanon still at the helm. We all knew he could do it first time around, of course. right? So um, how about second time? Uh, it seems like most people think the second time around 
will not be so good. It will be their sophomore album, Ryan. And I say, don't listen to the nerds. That's my TLDL <laughs> for this one. Uh, 56 points, first in the West in their expansion season. Uh, pretty good. Kept defying expectations, led to conspiracy theories that MLS was making teams give them the ball to score goals. I'm not sure that was entirely accurate, uh, but they had a very strong season, and I think they've made some smart acquisitions in the offseason. They bring in Chris Durkin, who is somehow still only 23 years old. Crazy. I feel like he's been playing for 26 years, but whatever. Somehow he's 23. Uh, he can play as a six. He can play as an eight. He could even play maybe in defense if need be. Uh, Thomas Totland, 24-year-old from right back from Hakan, uh, Hakan, excuse me, in Sweden. He's very attacking. Nicholas Deer. I think is how you say it, uh, 22 year old left back. So they've brought in a sort of uh, a solid midfielder, a potential starting right back, a potential starting left back. He wasn't a regular starter uh, dear for Michelin in Denmark, but I think they're hoping that he rounds into that form in terms of their departures. They lost uh, Jared Stroud and his 10 combined goals and assists when they traded him to DC to get Chris Durkin. Uh, they also lost Nico Giochini, uh, sold to Como and Serie B for uh, Serie B, excuse me, for four million dollars. He was their joint top scorer with 10 goals last season. And I like I genuinely cannot find a good analogy. I'm sure there's a very obvious one, but it's sort of like and I mean this in a nicer way, like St. Louis are a little bit like a zombie. It's like you can cut off their hand and it's like, yeah, they're still a zombie. They're going to keep going. And that's sort of what it feels like with this team that like you can lose like 20 goals right there. And I think watching them in that game against Houston, it's like, oh, they're just doing the exact same thing they did last season, just with different personnel. Got it. They're going to press high. They're going to win the ball as close to the opposition goal as they can. They're going to attack with speed. They had the fastest attack in the league last year. They seem to be a team that wants as much chaos as possible. I think they thrive in chaos. So if their opponent is desperately trying to clear the ball or getting into challenges all over the place, I think they want that uncertainty because it creates space for them to attack. Uh, and I think that makes them especially effective early in the season when teams are starting without, say, a number 10 or without their key midfielder or goal scorer. I think that is where St. Louis can potentially once again jump out to a, a, a good position in the standings and then maybe come back home to earth. That's what happened last year. They scored two or more goals in six of their final 18 games. In their first 22 games, they scored two or more goals 13 times. So you can see how they thrived in the beginning then came back, but I think along the way, they're going to to be the exact same team they were. And when you've got Roman Berkey, uh, goalkeeper of the year last year, uh, doing the things he did, when you've got the effect in this on set pieces that they had, I would assume both of those will continue. Set pieces may be more likely to be replicated, strange as that might sound. It seems like nerds are concerned because uh, they overperformed on every sort of metric. Uh, expected goals, I think they had 15 more goals than were than uh, the numbers indicate they should have. Uh, finished 11 points higher than their expected finish. So the idea then, I believe, is that that they won't continue to overperform. Eventually, they will come back down to earth. And we've seen this a number of different times in recent history, that when a team has a very strong season where they seem to overperform or defy expectations... The next season they come crashing back down to earth. Colorado would be one of those. Austin would be one of those. So the expectation is they'll do it again this year, and it will be St. Louis sort of falling off. Joe, you have them. Do you have them missing the playoffs? Uh, I just closed my tab with all my predictions on it. I think Convenient. so. Yeah, that sounds about mm -hmm. right. So 
There you go. And I think you are not alone in that. I think a lot of people are expecting that. And it's a strange thing because it seems like that is the consensus thinking. But then simultaneously, I feel like there's also consensus thinking of, well, we got it wrong last year. We don't want to be wrong again. So it sort of feels like no matter what people are saying, they're all just kind of guessing as to what's going to happen, which I guess is all we're doing in previews anyway. So maybe (laughs) it's all par for the course. All that to say, I do have a specific prediction. And it's about one player. I really like Aziel Jackson a lot. He is a player. He is someone... I don't think I knew really anything about, and he already has a USMNT cap, so that's saying something. Uh, he's small. He's quick. He's listed at 5'10". I feel like there's no, no way he's 5'10". Yeah. Absolutely not 5'10". Yeah, uh, maybe it was 5'9", but even no, there. Oh, great. I the hype police has arrived. Good <laughs> thing they got here on time. See, well, the thing I like about like he's I think he's, he's a shorter guy. He's got the fro, and maybe they're measuring the fro into the height as well, but it's the Jean-Luc Abusio effect of like smaller player with the fro is instantly fun to watch, but Aziel Jackson backs it up by having like the swiveliest hips of anybody on whatever side of the Mississippi St. Louis is on, I forget. Uh, but he is so He's, good on the turn. He is really uh, clever. Even in that game against Houston, he he draws a number of fouls. He tries take-ons. He tries dribbles in the box. He brings balls down on the turn, plays on the half turn. I just think he's going to be an exciting player. Uh, and I think with the Jean-Luc Abusio effect, it's also 20% more exciting. Uh, so I think in this uh, campaign, he will be their most fouled player. Uh, last year in 1100 minutes, he was fouled 29 times. That was good for like fifth on the team. I think this year he's going to get uh, more minutes. He's going to have more involvement in the attack. I think usually on the right or the left wing in like a four, two, 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 uh, he'll, he'll be in either one of those spots. Maybe he'll play up top. I think that's slightly less likely, but I think he is going to get more minutes. I think he's going to be very dribbly. I think he was going to be going at defenders after there have been turnovers after St. Louis are on the counter. And I think he's going to draw plenty of fouls this season. Brilliant. Thank you. The stadium is West of the Mississippi. I apologize Uh, to people. Of course, East St. Louis is Illinois. I should have known better. I only know East St. Louis because it's the butt yes. of most Simpsons jokes. Mm. Uh, yes, but, it uh, is. Yeah, is there indeed. any other? <laughs> <laughs> indeed. All right, one more team to cover in this here Western Conference preview. It's Vancouver. Which, which one of you's got this one? Who was it? I, I, I believe Not Captain Taylor. Suck It down there. <laughs> <laughs> Take it away, Captain. All right, let's let's go. Um, I'm into that. Let's let's make that. This is what happens when I only end up with four teams. I'm basically just I'm just a live viewer. You're just floating. Yeah, you're just floating and and tossing darts out. I like it. Around midnight last night, when I was like still staring at a screen trying to finish these previews, I did think, I wonder if I could try to sell Goss on picking up one of these teams. But no, you could have. But St. Louis would have been a tough sell. It was it was your it was your makeup for uh, having to do the teams that you had to do in the East. You get one one fewer team. So you have a little bit less work. This Felt time. purposeful yesterday. <laughs> yeah, it's an indication of your performance from yesterday's show. <laughs> All right. The the headline for Vancouver, the spine's elite. Uh, the question is, do they have the consistency to progress in the postseason in 2024? Last year, they finished sixth in the Western Conference on 48 points. They were a legit good team. The underlying numbers like them, if anybody out there watched Vancouver Whitecaps last year, you probably liked a lot of what they did as well. They were one of the most fun squads to watch in Major League Soccer. Ryan Gauld, Brian White leading the attack, Andres Kubas cleaning things up at the base of midfield. Strong spine. Vancouver finished with the sixth best expected goal differential in all of Major League Soccer, according to FB Ref. They traded Julian Gressel to the Columbus crew over the summer, and that, I think, really did hurt in terms of their ability to actually break teams down in the final third and their diversity in the attack. Now, of course, Gressel is playing for Inter Miami. Still, even with that trade, they were a really fun and, I think, very good team 
but an inability to defend on set pieces in their first round playoff series against LAFC just killed them. Like, you, you can't win games in Major League Soccer if you can't do the basic stuff right, or you can't win games when they matter against good teams when you don't do the basic stuff right, and Vancouver did not last year. Offseason changes. Incomings, Demir Krylak is in and looks like a starter, a question mark. He is like two years in a back surgery, uh, removed from playing a full season in Major League Soccer at a high level. Maybe this is the year he gets back. He's still very, very good. I have major questions about his fitness. Fafa Pico is in. I, I, I love his fit more as a wing back at this point in his career than as an actual winger. We'll see what Vanny Sartini has in store for him. Uh, they bring in a, a depth center back as well. Outgoings, Richie Larea is, or was, I should say, trapped in a tricky contract situation with Nottingham Forest. So he is not back in Vancouver last year after being on loan. Tactically, um, yeah, no, I, I know this one. I definitely know I definitely know what Vanny Sartini is going to do, and it's not at all unpredictable and impossible to guess at any given time. Uh, the, the general, like, prevailing thought on Sartini is that he likes control passing in midfield and prefers to avoid going all out defensively in the press. But, I mean, the Whitecaps did a little bit of everything last year. Back three, back four, back four, back three. Uh, you know, front two, front three, front two. I mean, they just kept going back and forth between all of this stuff. Sartini is a character and was suspended for saying some out-of-pocket stuff about refs that he shouldn't have said last year in the postseason. So we won't see him on the sidelines start 2024 unless he got the old Kai Wagner Uno reverse card and actually isn't suspended and it's not wrong to say bad things about people. I don't know where we stand on that. But uh, Sartini, I don't believe, will be on the sidelines to start the year for Vancouver. The optimism for the Whitecaps is that the spine is is just absolutely and completely elite from like the tip to the back. The spine, you start at the top, Brian White was one of the five most valuable players in the league last year, according to ASA's goals added metric. Ryan Gold gives you 10 and 10, and you can pretty much book that right now. You look at Kubas in midfield, excellent destroyer, one of the best in Major League Soccer. The, the back three is, is not bad whatsoever when we get that look. Tristan Blackman's a good young player. Well, he's a veteran now at this point, really. Blackman's a versatile defender, at least. Vlasinovic uh, is, a, is a nice player in the middle of that back line as well. And Taylor, of course, your favorite goalkeeper I was of all waiting. time. Place you had about 30 Whitecaps. more seconds before I started to get angry. I'm, I'm sorry. I had, I had to sneak it in for you. The concern for the Whitecaps, though, is that they're too inconsistent. Like I mentioned this last year, but it, it's not just the defensive set pieces where they gave up more goals on defensive set pieces than any team in MLS. It's also the fact that like you just never know what to expect. And I, I've heard from players that they don't know what to expect in Vancouver. Like There's not enough continuity to really go out there and grow out of a structure that lets the pieces become more than the sum of their parts. That's a huge problem. And no matter how good your players are on paper, your edge evaporates real quick when you don't know what to do on the field. And even in the controllable or mostly controllable moments like set pieces, you're just bad and, and don't have focus. So that's a huge concern. Uh, the VSP for this team, Ali Ahmed. Don't know who that is? Well, don't worry. I'm about to tell you. He's going to emerge as the hipster's favorite in Major League Soccer. He was the first Ooh, player. Ooh, listening. Goss is giving me, giving me a frown. Like, do you think he already, already did? No way. No this way. This is like shouting out that up-and-coming artist Taylor Swift at this point. <laughs> float, your, float your finger back onto that mute button, Goss. <laughs> Ahmed, Ahmed was the first player to sign from Vancouver's next pro team to get a first-team deal. That was in November of, of 2022. David is kind of right there. But he didn't play a ton last year. He played like 1,200 minutes in the regular season. Uh, played left wing back, played center mid as well. I think his upside is way higher at center mid. But again, Sartini's going to do Sartini stuff. 23 years old, made his debut for Canada last year. It's just hard not to love a former like third division standout who then becomes an actual very, very good MLS player. Great numbers, good at basically everything in central midfield. I really like Ahmed, and I think a lot more folks than just David and myself are going to end up liking Ali Ahmed in 2024. 
It's a very uh, specific prediction show. Easy to track, easy to follow, easy to, to categorize. For you sure. don't trust to me clear, to have my pulse started, on the hipsters, Taylor? I got my pulse he, on the hipsters. He started yeah. both playoff games. <laughs> this is the second time I've been called a hipster today. It must be true. I mean, you did arrive here on one of those old-timey bikes with the giant wheel in the front, to be fair, David. I, I absolutely did. Yeah. It's just, it's the only way that my mustache will properly curl in the wind. <laughs> Ali Ahmed played 1,100 minutes for the Vancouver Whitecaps. He started 12 games. How does that put him over the threshold for Vancouver to, to be a hipster's games. favorite in 2024? No way. All right, guys. That was how the Western Conference was previewed. We're wrapping it right there. Uh, thank you very much indeed. Uh, just a reminder, our big thing episode that's coming up this week, it's uh, it's all about Inter-Miami. Uh, Taylor, you've got to head off soon because I think you're refereeing the Inter-Miami game tonight, right? Is it you? Is it your turn? <laughs> oh, well, yeah. we haven't talked about the replacement refs, have we? No, we did yesterday. Just did a little we? bit. Yeah, all a little right. bit. I'm, yeah. I'm looking forward to the like uh, the replacements movie sequel. Like Keanu Reeves ends up being a replacement ref. I need that to be a, a movie that happens. Everybody wants a movie about replacement officials in Major League Soccer. Let's get it. All right. Well, Taylor, enjoy your time scabbing at the entire Miami game tonight. Thank you very much for your previews here. Uh, my pleasure. I am looking forward to see who who does get to officiate that one and how smoothly or not smoothly it goes. Uh, I think last time we did this, there were a lot of missed calls. Uh, I feel like VAR is going to be busy, even though I believe VAR officials are also not going to be there. It's going to be fascinating. Well, I suppose the objective is for it to not go smoothly if you're an MLS referee, right? That's I would say the so. whole point, so, which is bad for Just give the... them business class, man. That's all they want. Just give them business class. Indeed. Uh, Joe Lowry, thank you very much indeed for introducing PSXG to me. I hated it. Thank you very much. Yep, no problem, Ryan. Happy to do it anytime. And David Gus, a pleasure as always having you here, my good man. We've retired Indiana, Gus, but um, we're, we're back to... Is it New Jersey you prefer? Which one yeah. was it? Yeah, I don't mind it. <laughs> Great food in New Jersey. I'm always happy. Excellent stuff. Indeed. Thank you very much, David. Thank you very much, listener, for joining us here on these previews. Let us know what you think in our Discord. You can sign up at patreon.com slash Show to support us via that manner. We'll be back on the feed very shortly indeed. We've got Champions League reviews coming up this week. We've got that big thing episode I talked about as well. But for now, bye!